is near this morning. Amen. Amen. You know, as we say these affirmations of truth, as we sing these songs, as we do these readings, readings that remind us to continue to ask and seek and knock, God's doing something. These aren't just practices. These are habits through which God communicates to us. He speaks to us when we sing these truths that are deeply grounded in the Scriptures. He tells us what He's like. When He invites us to ask and seek and knock, He's inviting us because He's wanting us to become confident that He will meet us when we do. And so this morning, as you sing these songs, as you join us in these readings, as you listen to the testimony that you're going to hear in just a moment. No, these aren't things that we just do to fill an hour. Uh, these are times through which God meets with us and wants to build faith in us and wants to encourage us to come to Him and ask and seek and knock when we find ourselves in situations that require us to lean into the God of angel armies. Some of you are in some of those situations this morning, and he is near, and he wants to meet with you this morning. I'm going to call Clarence Rossi up here in just a moment. Many of you know Clarence. He's a, a father, like a father to many of us. He's a father figure, and he's actually a father to some here in the, in the house this morning. But we're going to ask Clarence to come and share a testimony. You know, one of the responsibilities of Christian leadership is to identify where God is at work and then say to the people, look, this is what the kingdom looks like. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to ask Clarence to come and share his testimony. Many of you know some of his journey. For those of you who don't, you're going to hear him unpack that. But we've just noticed God uniquely and particularly at work in Clarence over the last several months. And we just want to say, look, look what God can do. Clarence is a, a friend, and, you know, he shared with me earlier some of what he was going to say, and so I, I just want to intro it this way. In Revelation chapter 19, the Apostle John said that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so, in that respect, Clarence is going to come this morning, and he's going to Tell us about the testimony of Jesus in his life over these last few months, and in that way, give us a bit of a prophetic encouragement this morning. So, Clarence, would you come and do that? Uh, I guess I'm on, aren't I? Okay. Thank you, Jim, and thank you, Joel, for giving me opportunity to even stand here before you. You know, if I was to title this, I would call it, as Jim prefaced, a testimony and a revelation for Crestmont and the broader church. I know there's a few here from other churches and faith traditions. And not only are you welcome, but you know what? This is for you. Francis Schaeffer once coined the phrase, God is there and he is not silent. Francis could not have been more precise. What I have to share with you is nothing short of a work of the Holy Spirit. I plan to simply read this narrative to you. It consists of three components. My recent medical ex experience, a time in church history, 
and a revelation for our time and our day. What has happened in my life recently, I would not trade for anything else in my past. As I read, my eyes may not look up from this printed page. If I refer to biblical passages, I will not use the address. It's enough for you to know that they are contained in the exhaustive narrative that God has unfolded for us. This would never pass for homiletics or a finely crafted sermon. I will not be pausing for response. If you find this to be difficult, please feel free to leave or mentally check out. I remember reading that Jonathan Edwards of the Great Awakening actually wrote and read his messages from a handwritten page, and repentance broke out. Even then, the Great Awakening remained neither great nor awake. It was a revelation for that time in history. The conversions in the 1700s that followed had nothing to do with the preacher or his delivery style. I've read this numerous times, and the cadence of my voice should take us to about 30 minutes. I believe what I have been given has come through the person and mind of the Holy Spirit. Most of you know that I recently had been given a diagnosis of a central nervous system tumor growing on the frontal lobe of my brain. I'm not un unaware that this growth could have killed me in a very short time. Because of its location and size, it had caused me a confusion, a disconnect from my thinking to my speech. I could not grasp words or concepts, and it happened all of a sudden. My work friends knew something was not right, and I did my best to navigate the difficulty for about five days. The symptoms progressed throughout the week, and ultimately I could not remember what I had eaten for my anniversary dinner at a restaurant just a few moments earlier. The next day was Saturday, and getting up in the morning, I had decided to cut grass for the weekend. My daughter Pamela and my daughter-in-law Julie had come to our house to wash windows for Kathy. I was, it was a typical day of activity in the summer that would have been no big deal, except this one carried a fateful moment with it. I had finished most of the mowing and came into the house. My wife and the girls had been discussing my behavior of late. Bear in mind, I thought all was well, or at least just a passing ep episode. They asked if I realized something was wrong, and I simply said, yes. I heard my voice say that word, but the confession of that one word was powerful to me. I knew I could not ignore it any longer. I put away my mower and I took a shower. Kathy and I headed off to the hospital emergency room at Beaver Valley. By the way, I did drive the car. The emergency room was oddly empty, and I was seen immediately. They wheeled me off to an examination room, and through a series of interviews, they whisked me off to a CT scan. The results were almost instantaneous as a sensitive young doctor came into my curtained room and told me the news. Mr. Rossi, he said, I'm afraid I have some bad news. Early indications are showing that you have a mass growing on your brain that is applying pressure to your frontal lobe. We don't really know the extent or the nature, but it's going to require some further testing to prescribe diagnosis and treatment. I'm so very sorry to have to tell you this. At this precise point, I must tell you that I simply looked him in the eye and I said, okay, at least there's a reason. I'm okay with that. There was a peace that came over me at that moment that has never left me. I was not afraid, I was not shaken, nor otherwise hindered in that, in that peace. It would later become for me the peace that passes all understanding. I just did not know the depth and breadth of the peace giver, but I would soon find out. Within the providence of God was a young nurse who had training in gymnastics. She had coached my little granddaughter, Ava. Asking if we were related, we entered into casual conversation. She came to Kathy and me and suggested we leave Beaver Valley for Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh. She told us the medical support for such treatment would be far better than we could ever provide locally. 
She arranged transport for us, and through the bumpy north side of Pittsburgh, I traveled down what could have been a long, dark hole. Kathy had gone home and joined me in the morning at, at the Pittsburgh hospital, and all seemed out of control and yet in control at the same time. I'm not sure of Kathy's state of mind at this point, but she has been far more than a faithful partner in all of this, and her reward is secure, I'm sure of that. As I traveled this road, I felt a sense of going down a long tunnel. Now, most tunnels are black, dark, and confining. This one seemed to be full of light, and I felt pulled through as though through a vacuum. I can't explain it, but it seemed to signal something more, much more was ahead. It was full of light and uncontrolled motion. AGH proved to be the perfect choice of care facility. I had never realized the enormity and extensive coverage a hospital has to address. I never realized it because, to be frank, I had never been hospitalized for any length of time. Once I was admitted, all of the testing would be prescribed and methodically carried out with extreme attention to detail and precision. My testing would cover about three days, and each one would build upon the others. Within the battery of those tests would be a biopsy of the tumor through the skull, a bone marrow biopsy, a three-hour body scan, spinal tap, and finally an eye exam. I would ultimately be sent home with an actual diagnosis yet to be determined. It was finally delivered by the head of neurology department as a CNS lymphoma that could be much more easily eradicated than most. Their fear had been a far different result, but were happy to report this option. To be honest, so was I. Their, their collaborative work could not have happened at a better time, a better location, or in a better generation. What occurred was a lineup of perfect markers, intervention, life history, all that brings glory to none other than God himself, the one who had planned it all. With all that hospital and medical background in my case having been stated, I really must turn to the second component, a look into church history. I must say that the experience in that medical facility could not compare with what was about to happen to me in my spirit. Along with my bag of personal clothes and items, I had brought a Bible and a book given to me by my daughter about two years prior. It was a thick biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer written by Eric Metaxas. I had moved that book from place to place over those years and tried to hide it. I even bit on it a few times. It was okay, but actually rather dull and uninspiring. This time, however, I decided that since I had a lot of time on my hands in the hospital, and since I do have a fondness for history, I would try to reread the book from the beginning with a focus on God's work in the life of a young theologian. I would later realize that a look into history would bring me way back to the first interactions between the Creator and a chosen people. I would be propelled through thousands of years up to the present. God's story goes back long before the church was birthed and is seamlessly, seamlessly connected to us today. Dietrich stepped onto the world stage in historical Germany just prior to World War I. He was born into a well-to-do professional family and ultimately declared a field of study called theology. What is so intriguing about this young man is just that. He was a young man. At the age of 22, he was already engaged in full-time ministry for youth, adults, ultimately started small meeting groups. His love for the Word of God could not be deeper, or so he thought. Here is a quote from him as he was living in England in 1936. He was 30 years old. I plunged into work in a very unchristian way, an ambition that many noticed in me and made my life difficult. Then something happened, something that changed and transformed my life to the present day. For the first time, I discovered the Bible. I had often preached, 
I had seen a great deal of the church and talked and preached about it, but I had not yet become a Christian. I noted that at that time, I had turned the doctrine of Jesus Christ into something of personal advantage to me. I pray to God that will never happen to me again. Also, I had never prayed, or I prayed very little. For all my loneliness, I was quite pleased with myself. Then the Bible, in particular, the Sermon on the Mount, freed me from that. Since then, everything has changed, and so have other people noticed that about me. It was a great liberation. It became clear to me that the life of the servant of Jesus Christ must belong to the church. And step by step, it became plainer to me just how far that must go. Also, I found others who shared that same aim with me. The revival of the church and the ministry became my supreme concern. My calling is quite clear to me. What God will make of it, I do not know. I must follow that path. Perhaps it will not be such a long one. But it is a fine thing to have realized my calling. I believe its nobility will become clear to us only in the coming times and events, if only we can hold out. So that is the heart of a man 30 years old who finally discovered the Bible and the message of Christ's redemption. He had spent his formative years in the academic and edu educated world to the point of losing the reason for his moorings. Were those efforts lost or wasted? Certainly not. God wastes nothing. Not then, not now, not ever. This is part of God's craftiness who calls many of us to higher and higher levels of relationships and deeper and deeper understanding. Dietrich's story would become my own. Bear with me. If my experience did not have a spiritual side, I would not be standing before you. We talked about the medical influence, the theologian, and now a revelation. I trust that word does not scare you. I have found the word populated uh, in the entire Bible. So to be honest, it's pretty hard to discount. You must realize that during my diagnosis and uncertainty, I had warriors of prayer at my disposal. Many gathered around me to bring the kingdom to bear on my circumstances. The elders have invited, had invited me to a time of prayer at the church. All I could do was attend and receive. At my home, several gathered around me as though I was being carried on a mat to the foot of the healer. Let me tell you a few of the prayers that I do remember at that time. My daughter-in-law, Julie, and my daughter, Pamela, prayed against the things that are not of the kingdom. Stephen, who poured forth his heart for his earthly father to his heavenly father. Pastor Jim, who viewed my influence in his life as another spiritual father since the loss of his own. My brother, John Jordan, whose care was for someone he highly valued as a partner in ministry. And then Pastor Joel, who prophetically and simply asked for, and I quote, ever-increasing moments of clarity in the midst of confusion. Did you catch that? That was my problem, a manifested confusion. And that is exactly how this unfolded. Isn't it just like Jesus to come walking on our problem? Do you remember his walking on the water? The water was the problem, not the wind and the storm. You can't breathe in water. So Jesus walked on top of it. That's how he came to me. With these three components in place, I began a long journey of sleepless, but dare I say restful nights, tasteless food and getting up every hour on the hour. None of that was the fault of the hospital or the caretakers, just a result of medications and vital signs at 2 a.m. During the nights, I would mark off the hours of insomnia, but never in disappointment. I found myself lying still and submitting to the thoughts that came so very easily. My room was positioned on a sixth floor overlooking the city and the helipads. How many victims would arrive during the night with far worse before them than me? 
I may have turned the TV on once a day, some days never. I just wanted to be in a cocoon and identify and feel the presence of God himself. Never, never had I suspected he was so near or so real. His presence in my room was palpable. I have told many of you that I have been born again, all over again. I could easily have identified with Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he discovered the Sermon on the Mount, a message of a loving Christ after he had dabbled in years in the institution of church. I do remember in those nights that I would have tears and laughter all at once. What seemed like endless nights turned into long days of thankfulness and awareness that I was not alone. I would capture thoughts and impressions on paper menus that I would save from my food tray, transcribing them later. Things like Psalm 23 came easily to me. Have you, you have prepared a table in the presence of my enemies. My table was for feasting. It had been located within the proximity of tumor and chemical poisoning. I can feast and have a party. It was okay with my loving father as he told fear and tumors to back off. I was given the memory of so many thoughts and verses. Out of the Psalms, all of my days have been ordained before one of them came to be. Jacob, who saw the stairway to heaven and said, Surely God was in this place and I did not know it. What a simple phrase and how powerful it had impacted me. Paul said he had been carried off into a state that may or may not have been out of the body. I could actually resonate with that. In the days ahead, I would enjoy the hospital environment because it was so naked and sterile. There are a few distractions, as is not the case at home. Well, I was ultimately discharged to home and began a longer process of reading and pondering things from another realm. I could not shake the experience or the feeling of pure grace that had been poured over me. At home, I found myself seated on my front porch, reading and simply soaking in gratitude, trying to find language for what was unfolding. It finally occurred to me that I had built my house 40 years ago. Kathy and I actually designed it. We built it stick by stick and brick by brick. We actually owed no money on it when we were done. And it stands today exactly as drawn, exactly as envisioned. It's just a house, to be sure. But the gift that was given to us in those years is unmistakably another work of grace. Fast forward to today, I had sat on that porch many times, but always with a perspective of what needed done. As I sat there recently, it came to me that what I had never taken such a long view in all those years. Why? How did I miss such a blessing and freedom? Then it hit me. You know, it took Israel 40 years to reach their God-given potential by entering the promised land. It was promised. It wasn't just envisioned. It wasn't a preferred future, but promised by the God who can never break a promise. I'm certainly not comparing porch sitting with a travail in a desert, but there does seem to be a parallel between their stubbornness and mine. How could I have missed that? We do find that God is not in a hurry, but is willing to take us the long way around. We'll get there, but we miss such blessing and freedom as we chase after other interests that pale in the face of the kingdom. So where does that, all of that leave us? For all this process I've explained, one has to wonder if there is more for us, more for others, more for the broader church. I'm not one who hears voices. Yet there were two brief incidents that bring this to a fuller meaning. The first one occurred several months ago in the spring. I had a physical pain that continued several days. Like most men, I said nothing about it, but it led me to wonder what was wrong. In the middle of the night, a thought came through my mind as though it were an audible voice, and the voice said, 
quote, you're healed, now live like it. That really didn't sound biblical, yet it does describe all of the healings that Jesus and his disciples ever performed. There is a point where a person has to lean in and live out their healing. The very next day was Sunday, and I had occasion to pray over someone that needed healing. I repeated that sentiment to her, thinking it would be for her, not me. The second occurrence came during the long process of healing and contemplation. I distinctly remember looking at the clock, showing 4.15 a.m. It was July 19th, my 69th birthday. I looked toward my darkened window as though it were on a screen, and I saw the words of Habakkuk. Write down the revelation, it said, and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Who reads Habakkuk? And what could he possibly say to us today? Well, I ponder those words over and over in my mind, taking it apart. Write down the revelation. In other words, don't depend on memory. On tablets. In other words, they will not change. There's no editing. There's no second guessing. So that a herald may run with it. It's time sensitive. I can't explain why, but it would be days before I would actually turn the thin page of the Bible and read the rest of the message. For the revelation awaits an appointed time, it says. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. I began to wonder if there may be just yet another level to all of this. I realize that any testimony is the story of Christ. It should lead to revelation and prophecy for God's people. Isn't that what God wants for us? To move his kingdom forward to accomplish his design? Dietrich said, do not try to make the Bible relevant. Its relevance is obvious. Do not defend God's word. Just testify to it. Trust God's word. There, there proved to be profound parallels to the journey of Bonhoeffer in the present day where we find ourselves. In that day and time, the German people were shamed by the outcome of World War I, and they wanted to be valued. Their quest for redemption and world value led them to get behind a maniacal leader that came out of the darkness itself, Adolf Hitler. He promised to make them valued again on the world stage. Lest we think he is gone, he is not. Many will come to replace him, and the church must be vigilant and committed. At the root of Hitler's seeming success is the same as our own. It's pride. Remember this. Remember this. Satan never changes his tact. God never, ever changes his mission. Bonhoeffer had developed a love for the African-American expression of worship. It would transport him into another spiritual realm. He traveled the U.S. with a young black man and absolutely loved what he saw and experienced. He bought some of the spiritual songs and recordings, and he actually played them in the Berlin Seminary for his students to get a flavor of life in the spirit and how it can be expressed. Imagine that. What happened in the 30s should sound familiar to all of us. It's all about the work of the Spirit, not the seminary. In my meditation, I began to consider the power of the written word, a thought from God himself, not of human invention. It becomes expressed, written, read, and internalized. The whole process is nothing short of mysterious. Every biblical healing in Scripture that I would read became unique and drew me in. There was a demon-possessed man who roamed the tombs, that was healed by Jesus and left in his right mind. People were afraid of that power. People healed the layman on the steps to the temple. What made Peter know to tell the man he could stand and walk? That man would have to attempt to stand up on spindly legs, riddled with atrophy. Remember that phrase, you are healed, now live like it. 
Where does that leave us today? Will God give us a fresh revelation for our time? God told Jeremiah, ask me. I will tell you remarkable secrets you, don't not, you do not know about, things to come. And we get to steward God's ministries, uh, mysteries. The prophet Amos reminds us, surely the Lord does nothing without first revealing his plan to his prophets. Who are these prophets? Well, it's anyone who speaks forth the truth of God, anyone who has been visited by the Spirit and given what to say. In subsequent hospital stays, attending nurses would enter into conversations with me. There was Elizabeth who asked about free will and predestination. The Spirit led me to pray the kingdom to come for her and her home situation, which was not a good one. Then there was Stacy, whose husband is five years clean from esophageal cancer. Even an oncology nurse is not immune to the disease. A home visiting nurse finally told me of her adult son caught between cycles of recovery and drug addiction. Her use of the word disease told me she was feeling hopeless. I reminded her boldly that she was living, what she was living was not of the kingdom. We don't want it, and we're going to pray the kingdom in so the darkness can leave. God's kingdom is indeed advancing, and it's forceful men and women who lay hold of it. Nothing will ever stop or change its direction. Its mission and plan has been determined within eternal realms. His word stands true and valid from the opening of Genesis to the closing of Revelation. Bonhoeffer's revelation that the Nazis were lifting a hand against God himself was born out of his reading of the Old Testament. In spite of cultural teachings and political views and the life, the Jews are really God's people. All other people groups came after that original covenant within the Gentile period. Though his life was safe in New York, he could not put down his calling to minister to the German church. He was a man for that time, place, and assignment. Paul calls it, quote, works prepared in advance for us to do. He would ultimately lose his life for standing up to the state of Germany. He did write, however, that the American church was just as misguided as the German one. The American church was consumed with freedom and self-importance. There was no room for the redemptive work of Christ, a fatal flaw in the institution that would lead it down the road of ineffective kingdom building to this very day. It was Rich Grassel who once preached a message in this building, and I quote what he had to say. He said, you cannot serve God and do it conveniently. I've now found that to be true. Well, is there a revelation for our time? Will God show his plan to the world as he has done in the past? I asked the Lord to show me what all this could mean. At 1.40 a.m. on July 26th of this year, it came to me, a word appropriate for our time. These are the thoughts for us that I captured on those menu slips in a rapid-fire uh, fashion. We are to advance the kingdom of Christ by whatever means possible to whomever possible under every and each circumstance. Bring the kingdom of Christ to bear on every broken family, person, and relationship. Bring it to bear on health and economy, locally and globally. Bring the kingdom to bear on addiction, brokenness, depression, cycles of evil, lies of the enemy. Express it in every tradition. Welcome every generation and distinction of the body. Don't be put off by preferences, practices, nuances, and expressions of worship. Be joyful to worship. Let's get out of our traditional rut because there's no point to it in the kingdom. Reject blending to be acceptable and reject those doctrines that defy the work of Christ. Every cult, every counterfeit doctrine is a ladder leaning against the wall of a burning building. Don't be afraid to call it out for what it is. That includes all world religions apart from the work of Christ, since they are counterfeit and choose to lift up man in his own eyes. Do not put faith in the American experiment. 
yet work within it because this is God's timing for us in our day. By all means, vote, but realize that God moves this world, not governments or political agenda. God is willing to use everything you have ever offered in obedience. Remember, we were created to do good works, works prepared in advance for us to do. Our Heavenly Father is with us. We have absolutely nothing to fear. Every Sunday school lesson, every church grass cutting, every paint job, every nursery assignment, every sour note on the organ or the piano, every kid's program, every dry but offered prayer, every lesson prepared sermon, they're all useful somehow. By the way, thank you, every one of you, who generationally simply did what needed to be done, who delivered this church to where we are today. We did not get here alone. You have all contributed and built a legacy. Christ honors that, and yes, by the way, you're not done. He wants to pass all your efforts through the filter of the Spirit. Nothing gets wasted, nothing dumped, nothing deemed unworthy. Aliquippa Impact, Uncommon Ground, Celebration, Equip Books, Forgotten Corners, The Gym, Huddles, City Group, all are part of the fabric of the kingdom. You're not transparent, your efforts are not lost, nor are they less. Let's just briefly consider Job's experience. After some 30 chapters of trials, Job takes God to task and demands answers. God, however, instructs Job that he will not be answering to him anytime soon. God did say, though, that some things need to be corrected. Job's three friends, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar, tried to counsel Job to say that he had a sin issue. They spoke into his life in such a way as to point blame. God's response was to have those three offer a sacrifice for their sinful perspective. Job's assignment was simply to pray for them. How did that work, and why did it work? Well, for one thing, the entire Job experience was for Job, not his friends. It satisfied God to allow those three to simply offer a sacrifice to remain in right standing with him. But as for Job, his unique experience would allow him a view of the throne room of prayer. It was no longer about his being blameless, but being connected to God himself. He would now cover their guilt through prayer that came directly from the Spirit. I suspect the prayer was far different coming out of the trial than it would have been going in. Job's three friends will greet us in eternity because God received that prayer of a brand new believer, a man born again all over again. By the way, Job lived another 140 years. Who knows what a prayer life may have developed during all those years. God will never receive or approve sin, but he does welcome righteous effort. God instituted the sacrificial law, and he never looked back as though it were some kind of mistake. When this trajectory of creation is done, God will work exactly what he promises and will not fail to bring it about. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Emmanuel, God with us, delivered this message. I will build my church, and the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. It was August 3rd when I simply fell onto Matthew 4 as a time of reading. It takes place after the calling of his first disciples and uh, just prior to the Sermon on the Mount. Just two short verses. It says, Jesus went in throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them all. Severe pain is that physical gnawing, debilitating pain that encumbers physical function. 
seizures, unexplained body motions, outbursts, even momentary paralysis. We now know that most of it is caused by pressure on the, on the brain. Demon-possessed, those put upon by forces of evil, harassed and influences. Paralyzed, physically unable to move your limbs due to disease and atrophy. I would have been standing with those in the seizure crowd. I was not there, but Jesus healed my tumor that day. I just found out about it. Healing and redemption are the work of the kingdom. God wants it done, and we get to participate. As Joel so affectionately said many uh, months ago, everyone gets to play. Remember how I started that phrase from Francis Schaeffer, God is here and he is not silent. I hope you remember that. Let me leave you with this out of the Psalms, and I can truly sing this with the psalmist. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Just one more time. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Your instructions are far more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Let me just tell you in brief that uh, Friday of this, uh, last, this past Friday, I did receive an oncology report and met with my doctor, and there is absolutely no sign of the tumor at all. So, thank you, every one of you who cared enough about me and my family to carry us on a mat to the healer. Uh, I suspect I'm not done. Like Job, I will be far different coming out than when I went in. Uh, I hope to have a chance to discuss that with you further. And if you have any questions, please see me. But thank you so much for paying attention. And let us act upon our healing and enter into the kingdom work. Thank you. Jim. And up for what you just heard because you ought to listen to that several times. Uh, there are many things that were said there that encourage us today. Uh, there are many things that were said there that should continue to encourage us as we walk out these next months and years. That, that's one of those testimonies that we'll probably frame and keep around for a while because I, I think it was a timely testimony for this congregation and probably for many of you as you sit here and listen today because it's likely that you are walking through your own set of circumstances. You know, it's likely that as you hear a testimony of how the kingdom of God came to bear in Clarence's life and in the lives of many of us as we gathered around that, you also know that you live in conflict today with the kingdoms of this world. The, the kingdoms of small local issues, larger national matters, family kingdoms, little kingdoms at our workplaces, and where the kingdom of God 
bumps into those kingdoms. We often find ourselves in a place of need. We recognize that because of what we deal with in the kingdoms of this world, that a revelation of the kingdom of God is what we need. You know, you, you don't know what it means to sing about the king of heaven until you recognize you need a new king. You need the God of angel armies. You know, when you sing that song, you sing it with a, a passion when you recognize that you, you need that kind of intervention. You need that kind of presence. And you know, all of Scripture, from beginning to end, is about the presence of God and the restoration of the presence of God. In Genesis, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Presence. And then, there was a fall and a loss of presence. But if you go all the way to the end of the book, the story is that there will be a full restoration of the presence of the King even in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. And what Jesus has come to do is show us now where the kingdom is breaking through until that very day. If you need a kingdom breakthrough today, you can count on His presence. He is with you. And so, how many of you today find yourself in conflicts with the kingdoms of this world? Anybody? How many of you here today would say that you're looking for a kingdom breakthrough in some capacity? I'm asking you now to stand to your feet. If that's you, stand to your feet. And I'm asking that you join me. Just come on down to the front and we are going to lay these issues before the King.